Hey, I was sitting up here singing, and I just thought, man, I really love, I really love you guys. Uh, I know I tell you that on an occasion, but I just do. It's, it's. Uh, Karen and I love that you allow us to be your pastor, and and uh, you know it's the best job in the whole world. Uh, you get to study the Bible, and you get paid for it, and then you get to tell people about it. Um, but we love you guys. Uh, you guys are from all over the world. It's just, I just love, I love worshiping with you and uh, you know singing praises to Jesus and n- knowing it's a foretaste of heaven uh, when every nation tongue and tribe will be standing before his glorious throne offering up praises um, yeah so I love you and thank you for being here tonight to worship Jesus with us uh, my grandfather died of colon cancer uh, he, he lived a pretty long life but he did die of colon cancer so uh, my gastroenterologist recommends that I have a colonoscopy uh, every three to five years at my age. Um, don't know how many of you have had one of these wonderful things. Uh, anybody, anybody here had one of these things? I won't talk much about it. The less said, the better, I think. But uh, so I said all that to say that uh, was at the hospital this week. And, uh, you know, Karen and I spent some time at the hospital uh, the last couple of years, and it, it seems like every time I go there, I look at all the brokenness. And, uh, you know, you see people that are limping and people with casts, people on crutches. You see people in, in wheelchairs. You see people bandaged. Um, you see people being rolled around in, in beds. You see people walking around with, with IVs on Wheels, and I know there are countless maladies that I cannot see. And every time that I go there uh, to the hospital, I, I, I'm always thinking about the cause of all this brokenness, all this infirmity, and all this sickness. And I, I've shared this with you before, but I always press it down all the way. So if I, was to, if I were to ask you, why hospitals? How would you answer me? Why hospitals? Well, I've asked you this question once before, and you may remember my answer is, why do hospitals, ex- why do hospitals exist? Because of bad theology. Don't know how many of you would have pressed it all the way down to, and, and arrived at that solution, that hospitals exist because of bad theology. Uh, you know what the word theology means? It simply means our concept and understanding of God. It's how we think about God. It's the things we say to be true about Him. So why do hospitals exist? The ultimate explanation is bad theology. Why do I say that? You remember Genesis 1, 31. Uh, God had finished His creative work and He said uh, all that He saw and, and had made and beheld, it was what? Anybody remember? All that He had made was what? It was very good. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no deformity. There was no uh, infirmity. It was very good. What happened? Well, we know what happened. Eve believed the adversary's lie. She believed what Satan was was saying to her, that that God was holding out on her, that God wasn't good enough, that somehow God was keeping back the best for her. Inexplicably, this is a great mystery to theologians, inexplicably, Adam and Eve bought the lie. They bought the lie the lie. Even though God had created her and God had put her in paradise and God had given 
her and, and Adam, everything north, south, east, and west of the tree was theirs. But somehow they believed the lie that some, you know, God was not good to them. He was holding out on them. Eve doubted the goodness of God. That is bad theology in the highest order. It's ghastly theology. It's appalling theology. So what, what have I always said? What have you heard me say many, many times from this pulpit? Bad theology, what? Does anybody remember? Other than my wife. It hurts people. Bad theology, doesn't it hurt people? Look what's happened since the garden. Bad theology hurts people. Why does bad theology hurt people? Because wrong believing about God leads to wrong living before God. So why hospitals? Bad theology. Not believing the goodness of God and buying into the lie. Sin entered the human race through the fall of Adam and Eve and we are broken. How many of you know you're broken? We're broken in every conceivable sense of the word. I want to do a little congregational participation uh, tonight. I'm going to relay a, a couple of biblical accounts to you and I want you to tell me if you hear a pattern, okay? Are you up for it? Everybody's up for it. Okay. Everybody's still awake. Good. All right. We're 10 minutes into it. Okay. Everybody's doing well. I want you to see, I want you to see if you can uh, hear a pattern here and I want you to, to relate, relate that to me. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to share these with you from the old King James because I think the King James Version is, is very good here. Matthew 8, you remember a Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his slave. And Jesus said, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the slave was made whole. Matthew chapter 9, a woman with a hemorrhage touched the, 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 the garment of Jesus. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Matthew 12. A man with a withered hand encountered the, uh, the Lord Jesus on the Sabbath and Jesus commanded him to stretch forth his hand and it was made whole. Matthew 15, a woman asked Jesus to cast a demon out of her, uh, her daughter and, and Jesus commanded it to be so and her daughter was what? Made whole according to the scripture. John 5, a man was at the pool of Bethsaida and he'd been there for 38 years. Jesus commanded him to arise and, and he was immediately made whole. What's the pattern? Those who encounter Christ are no longer broken. They are made whole. That's what these pictures in the gospel, these, these pictures of physical healing are all pictures of Jesus. What Jesus does in a spiritual sense, He makes us whole. Tonight as we look at the, the Gospel, pardon me, the, the book of Colossians, the Holy Spirit tells us in chapter 2, verse 10, that the true believer has been made complete in Christ. That's how the NAS reads it. Uh, let me read it to you from the, the ASV. Uh, the believer has been made full in Christ. The International Standard Version reads it like this, uh, has been brought to fullness in Christ. Uh, the literal translation is the true believer, we are in Christ made full. Okay? We are in Christ made full. I like the good news paraphrase. Listen to this. It says, you've been given full life in union with Christ. Okay? 
that sets the stage for what I think the Holy Spirit wants to teach us tonight. Just by way of review, and I'm going to continue with this litany, I think every sermon through, the, through this, this book, Paul uh, has been prompted by the Holy Spirit to write this book to defend the simplicity and purity of the gospel. We've been talking about this uh, for the last few weeks. False teachers had come into the church of Colossae, and they were saying that what Jesus did wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to save His people. You need Jesus plus something else. And tonight we're going to see this specific reference to, what, uh, to this Jewish legalism that was bleeding into the church because uh, Paul talks about uh, circumcision. You, they're saying that you need Jesus plus something. And the same is true today as it was in 61 AD when Paul wrote this letter. Christ plus Gospels, they're always wrong. They're always false. You've heard me say it. They're always demonic. They're always demonic. It doesn't matter if you call it Catholic or Protestant or something else. They're always wrong. They're always false. The clear biblical passage or message is that Christians are saved wholly by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. That's it. That is the simple gospel. And Paul is writing to defend it. As I've shared with you, every sermon... I don't think there's a higher blasphemy than to say that you have to add something to Christ. So, beloved, any church you're in, be discerning. If they're adding to Jesus, you need to leave. You need to leave. This is the pure gospel. This is the biblical gospel. This is the gospel of the Holy Spirit. As we've seen thus far, Paul, in his defense of the biblical gospel, he simply holds up Jesus and he says, Look! Look how awesome He is! He's God! This is what he says tonight to us. He's God! He's been saying this to us all, all along the way, but he says clearly tonight, He's God! You don't need anything else. You have all you need. You are not only saved, you are omnipotently saved. You are omnipotently redeemed. You are omnipotently uh, reconciled. Because He's God and when He does a thing, it's done forever. He's God. Paul says He's all you need. He's all you'll ever need. He's all anyone ever needs. He's God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the awesome Creator God. Verse 9, Colossians chapter 2. For in Him, in Christ, for in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. I don't know that there's a stronger statement about the deity of Jesus in all the Bible. Paul says Jesus Christ is God. He's not a kind of God. He's not a sub-God. He's not a semi-God. He's the God. He's I Am. This is what Paul is saying. This is what Paul is clearly saying. He's the God who effortlessly spoke a 50-plus billion galaxy cosmos into existence. He's the God that upholds that cosmos. And as the prophet Habakkuk says, this is the hiding of His power. We haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen anything yet. And I like to work this in whenever I can. I love to talk to you about these things. I love to go to Isaiah chapter 40 uh, through 46, you know, where, where God says, I'm God and nobody else is. And I love it when he talks like this. I love it when my father talks like this. And I'm just going to relate to you some selected verses out of Isaiah chapter 40 to 46. Just listen to me. 
Jesus says, I am the Lord. That is my name. Behold, pardon me, before me there, there was no God. To whom will you liken me that I should be his equal? I am the Lord, the first and the last. I am he. Even from eternity, I am he. Besides me, there is no God. I am the Lord. There is no other. There is none who can deliver out of my hand. There is no Savior besides me. It is I who, who sit above the vaults of the earth. The nations are as nothing before me. I am God and there is no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning. My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Amen? That's our Lord Jesus Christ. And anytime you're in a church and they're preaching some pathetic God who can't uh, sovereignly get his, his purposes accomplished, you need to leave there too. Our God is sovereign. He does all He desires to do. He is the great and awesome I Am. He is the Alpha and the Omega. I love it when God talks like this. God says, every other so-called God, they are a fraud, they are a pretender, or they are a, a wannabe. There is no God besides me. Yes, we've said it many times. It's God in a manger. Unbelievable. It's still, it, I've been a Christian for 25 years now and I still can't believe God's in a manger. How many of you can believe it? I can't believe it. I know it's true because God tells me it's true. I still can't believe He did it. And yes, that's God on the cross. Verse 9, for in Him all the fullness of deity dwells. It's God. Paul says, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to add something to Him? You've got to be kidding me. He's God. He's God. We saw it a couple weeks ago, I think. John 1, 18, we talked about the fact that Jesus has explained God. I love that imagery. Hebrews 1, 3, Jesus' exact representation of God's Nature. Paul says, man, you got to be kidding me. You think man-made philosophy has anything better to say than that? You think man-made religion can add anything to Jesus? What did we talk about a couple of weeks ago? Colossians, pardon me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. Paul says, Jesus is God. Don't you dare add anything to Him. And if anybody does, it's a false gospel. Let that man be accursed according to the Word of God. Look at verse 10. And in Him, in Him Christ, in Him you have been made complete, and He is head over all rule and authority. In Him, in Christ, you have been made complete. In Jesus, our spiritual brokenness is repaired. That's what Christ does for anyone who truly comes to Him. Again, that's what all those physical healings are in part about in the Gospel. It's a picture of that, that the Creator God brings complete wholeness. Complete wholeness to His people. If you look up that Greek word translated complete there in verse 10, if you look at that up in a Greek lexicon, here's what you find. To make full, to fill to the full, to render full, to fill to the brim, to cause to abound, to supply liberally, to complete, to uh, fill to the top so that nothing is wanting. The Greek is telling us that this completeness and wholeness is also fullness. It's not just completeness in some... We're not just completed in some minimalistic human way. There's a, there's a divine fullness that's implied here. 
as well. It's bigger than just being complete. It's bigger than just being whole. It's being full. I love this divine aspect to it. And look what it says there at the end of verse 10. It says, it says uh, He is the head over all of rule and over all authority. He's God. Paul says it again. He's God. He's God. And if you have been made complete in Him, believe it, brother, you're complete. And nothing can change it. Nothing can change that. Satan can do nothing about that. We are complete. We are omnipotent, complete, uh, omnipotently complete. I love how Peter says it. He says, we are partakers of the divine nature. <laughs> I mean, how awesome is that? I w these are things I would not believe unless God was telling me these things. I mean, and I think, I think sometimes we read these things and we don't meditate deeply on it. Friends, we were enemies. Now we're partakers of the divine nature. How can we not get excited about this? How can it not change the way we live? How can it not? We're not understanding it. If it, if it doesn't change the way we live. I love, I love how Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrases that Second Peter passage about being partakers of divine nature. Listen to this. He says, we've been given tickets to participate in the life of God. Isn't that awesome? Tickets to participate in the life of God. Let me ask you, Christian friend, are you proactively participating in the life of God? Is this the signature of your life? Is this the aroma of your life? Are you participating in the life of God? You know what Paul told the Ephesians over in chapter 3, verse 19. He says, man, the Christian is to be filled up to all the fullness of God. Man, I could just spend days meditating on that one little phrase. To be filled up with all the fullness of God. You are not only complete, you are full. And for all eternity, God will be pouring Himself into His people. These are just breathtaking revelations. We just continue to see these revelations in this great little book of of Colossians. We're not merely set straight or set right, like I said, in some minimalistic human religious way. We are made sons and daughters. And it's, and it's a done deal because He's God. You don't have to do ordinances and sacraments and, and penance and, and, and you don't have to do all this junk. You don't have to. Jesus did it. You're whole. You're complete. You're full in Him. Friends, we just need to believe this and live this. So what we, this is what the church needs to do. We need to live this. We need to live this reality. I know none of us can do it perfect. I'm not saying we can do it perfect. I can't do it perfect. I'm woefully uh, aware of the fact I cannot do it perfectly. But it's always my target. It's always my target. To live this fullness that God has given to me. Omnipotently complete. Omnipotently full. Beloved, He not only saves our souls, He fills them up with Himself. And that's what will be going on for the balance of our days and throughout all eternity. I love how Jonathan Edwards says it. Listen to this. I always love this quote. In creation, God is revealing His glory to every created being. God is showing His glory to every created being. But then Edwards make a, makes a distinction in the redeemed. In redemption, God is disclosing His glory to His people. God's giving it to His people. God is revealing uh, in an intimate way His glory to His people. Go read John 17. We will taste the glory of God in some mysterious way I can't explain to you. We are caught up in it. 
It's an awesome thing. God forever will be giving, his peop- giving Himself to His people. Look at verse 11 and 12. In Him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with, with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. Jewish legalism was, was part of the false teaching and they, they were saying, hey, you need Jesus plus you need, you need surgery. You, got it, you, got, you can have Jesus, that's good, you got Jesus, but you also need surgery to be saved. You need to be circumcised. This is what the Jewish legalists were asserting. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? That you can add that you just you add surgery to what Jesus did? Doesn't it sound ridiculous? It's always ridiculous when men add uh, additions to the finished gospel. Some tell you today that you know you need you have to have Jesus plus an ordinance, plus a sacrament, plus rote prayers, plus doing good, plus confession, plus rites, plus etc., etc., etc. Beloved, it's ridiculous. It is not the biblical gospel. It is not the biblical gospel. It's as false today as it was when Paul wrote these words. Man-made religion is just that. It's man-made. It has nothing to do with God. Nothing. It has nothing to do with God. Man-made surgery can never save a man. Only God-made surgery can save a man. What am I talking about? What does God say He's going to do? Tyler's right. It's a heart change. It's a heart transplant. This is what God does. It's God-made surgery. Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart, a new spirit. I'm going to take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And you know, Romans chapter 2, verse 28, 29. Listen to this. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, outward circumcision, neither is circumcision that, that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit. This is what Paul is saying. Don't you dare add surgery to the finished work of Jesus. Don't you add circumcision to it. Paul is very, very... Paul says, don't let anyone beguile you with man-made religion. Christ is God. He's able to save His people utterly. He's able to do it completely forever. Forever. In verse 12 it says, you've been buried with Christ in baptism and raised up with Him. Is Paul now touting believers' baptism to be essential for salvation? Has he taken one uh, ritual off the table and put another one on there? Is he teaching that uh, baptismal regeneration? Well, of course not. Of course he's not teaching that you have to be baptized to be saved. He's not even talking about water baptism here. I know that some denominations tell people that you have to have Jesus plus baptism or you're not a Christian or you're not born again, or you're not saved. Again, that's, that's a non-biblical gospel. Such teaching betrays a superficial understanding of what the Bible teaches about salvation and about what the Bible teaches about baptism. I like what MacArthur says. John MacArthur says about Colossians 1.12. This is a dry verse. Paul's not even teaching about water baptism here. He's talking. What's he talking about? He's talking about what? Spiritual baptism. He's talking about our union. He's talking about our union in Christ. 
That's the, you know, and, and, and this is why it's so beautiful, the way, the way this church baptizes. We believe it's the biblical way to baptize. It's by immersion. It's by immersion. And uh, immersion is a great picture of, of declaring that we are gods from head to toe. I love that. And that's what we're saying in our physical baptism. But Paul's not talking about that here. He's talking about our union with Jesus in a spiritual sense. So does it matter if a Christian is phys uh, physically baptized? Let me ask. Does it matter? Absolutely it matters. We're commanded to be baptized. It's the Word of God. It doesn't save us, right? It doesn't save us. There's no magic in the water, but it's, a it's, a, it's an issue of obedience. I can't tell you how many young people I've talked to since I've been here and had the privilege to baptize, and, and it, they all, it seems like invariably they come down to this. It's obedience. I've been postponing this all my life. I've been postponing this forever. I've been postponing this a long time. Well, I did a ritual when I was three or when I was five or when I was eight. But now I love Jesus, right? And I've been postponing this, and now I know that I need to obey. I need to obey the Lord. So how does God save he saves the same way He's always saved. He, he saves by faith. He's never not saved by faith. Was Abraham saved by his circumcision or his works or the law? How was Abraham saved? By faith. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And what, is, what does Paul say here in verse 12 of Colossians 2? He said we're raised up with Him, what? Through what? What does the text say? Through faith in the working of God. I love that. Through faith in the working of God. It's the work of God. Through faith. You know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That it is, it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works that anyone should boast. Paul says you've got to be kidding me. You're going to add surgery to the finished work of Jesus. Paul says I can't. Paul says, no way. It's never been about man-made surgery. It's about God-made surgery. It's about, it's about that heart transplant that God does. Verse 13. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against, against us, and which was hostile to us. And he, was taking, uh, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. This is the crystal clear teaching of God's Word. Man is not spiritually ill. Man is what? Man is spiritually dead. You know, if you're spiritually ill, maybe there's something you can do. Maybe you can add something to the gospel. Maybe you can actually add something to your salvation. Maybe you can do something to uh, earn God's merit and God's favor. But the Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible says we're all dead spiritually. And He made us alive. He did that. It's a sovereign miracle of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. We can add nothing to our own salvation this is the, the biblical truth about man. Spiritually, we are all Lazarus. Spiritually, we are all Lazarus. And what does a dead man need the most? 
He needs life. And Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I'm not talking about brain waves and a pulse. I'm talking about the spiritual life. I'm talking about the soulish life, the abundant and eternal life that Jesus talks about. I'm going to go back to Ephesians chapter 2 again. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is you and I before we came to Christ. You were by nature a child of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive. He did it. He made us alive together with Christ. God made surgery. It's that heart transplant that God does. You know, sometimes people will say to me, Jim, I found the Lord. And I, I understand what they're saying. But many times what I want to try to lead them to understand is God's found them. God's found them. And God's done the heart transplant. God's done the heart transplant. It's His miracle. We are now alive because of His work in our heart. Paul says, give me a break, man. You think he can add man-made religion to this supernatural miracle of God? You think he'd bring anything to the table at all? Spiritually? No. We don't. We come to the table. We come to, we, we come to this spiritual table in all humility and brokenness and repentance and in faith. And we come and receive what God has offered to us. <coughs> Look at the end of verse 13 and into verse 14. It says that, that with Him, in, with Christ, uh, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt uh, consisting of decrees against us. Some people uh, will come to me sometimes and they will say, Jim, I just have to get my life in order before I make a public profession of faith in Christ. And I say, well, if you wait till you get your life in order, it ain't ever going to happen. Because you're never going to get your life in order. You know, it's like, I, Jim, I, 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 need to, I need to get rid of all my sin before God finds out. Before I come and, and, and start to confess. I need to, I need to do this before God finds out. I need to clean up my act before, before I come before God. Beloved, if you wait till then, you're never going to come. You're never going to come. God knows your sin. This is one of those unspeakable things. He knows every last self-absorbed, disgusting detail of your self-absorbed, disgusting sin that you've ever com committed or contemplated. He knows every bit of it. He knows every bit of it. The prophet Hosea says, God knows all our wickedness. But here's the good news of the gospel. All you have to do is come. That's all you have to do. Come. Come and believe. And come and receive. Look what happens when we genuinely come to Christ. This is so awesome. God cancels out our certificate of debt. Our certificate of debt, it's, it's our sin against God and our sin against the law of God. And it's canceled out. Isn't this awesome? It's It's gone. It's gone. You know, we're like that guy over in Matthew 15. You know the, the great parable. This guy owed 10,000 talents to his master. 
Now, I heard one preacher say, I heard one preacher say that this was, a, and I don't know if he's accurate. I can't, I can't substantiate this. But his point is well made. He says, this is equivalent to six million days wages. There's no way this guy can ever get out of debt to his master. It's 16,000 years of labor. It's impossible. There's no way this guy could ever get out of debt. It's unpayable. Man-made religion can never offset that indebtedness. But Jesus does it. He's God. He saves His people to the uttermost. Beloved, don't be deceived by religion. Don't let man-made religion deceive you. Don't let the words and traditions of men deceive you. You stay on the Word of God. You stay on Christ. He's all you need. He's all you'll, never need, all you'll ever need for a billion eternities. He will save you utterly and sufficiently and completely forever. Jesus, He takes away our sin debt before God. Look, it says, it says uh, He erases it. It's gone. It's forgotten. He nails it to the cross. It's paid in full. And I just had to share with you this litany of some of the things the Bible says about what God does with the sins of His people. You'll know most of them, if not all of them, but let me just share them with you. Isaiah 1.18, Though your, skin, uh, your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah 38.17, He has cast all our sins behind His back. Isaiah 45.25, He has wiped out our transgressions. Hebrews 8.12, He remembers our sins no more. Uh, Psalm 103.12, He removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Anybody want to say anything? Amen. He saves His people utterly. And God has dispensed utterly with our certificate of debt. He has nailed them to the cross. We don't need man-made religion. All we need is Jesus. Look at verse 15. When He had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. Christ defeated the adversary. Satan is defeated. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Christ has rendered Satan powerless. So, let me sum up here. How is this God-sized salvation, this circumcision without hands, accomplished? How is this God-sized forgiveness, this cancellation of our sin debt, realized? How is this God-sized victory over Satan and sin and death and hell achieved? Beloved, it's not through circumcision. It's not through religion. It's not through man-made philosophy. It's not through do-gooding. It's not through your works. It's through Jesus Christ and what He did. You don't need to add anything to it. And it's blasphemous to say you do. Blasphemous to say you do. The Holy Spirit is so, He's just so pristinely clear on this point. It's like, He says, I, I want to make sure you can't mess this up. I want to make sure you don't miss the right answer here. So look what He says. I, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but this is a beautiful, beautiful thing in the Scripture. How, how can we have God's salvation, God's forgiveness, God's victory? How? Look at verse 11. In Him, it says. Look at verse 12. With Him, it says. Verse 12 again. With Him. Verse 13, with Him. Verse 15, through Him. Do you get it? Christian, do you understand? you understand how you're saved? 
in Him, with Him, through Him. Basta. That's it. He's all you need, friends. And He's all, he's all anyone needs. You share the gospel. You share the pure gospel with people. You share the pure gospel with people. We are omnipotently saved. We are omnipotently complete in Him, with Him, and through Him. Only in Him, with Him, and through Him are we filled up to all the fullness of God. And I, I can't help it. I've got to, I've got to close with uh, Romans chapter 8. And I know some of you are saying, well, Jim, you seems like you close with Romans chapter 8 about three or four or five times a year. I know. I can't help it. It makes my heart beat fast. So you have to deal with it, right? But uh, Romans chapter 8, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's just beautiful. I'm just going to read a few verses and I'm done. I'm going to start with verse 28, Romans chapter 8. We know what? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be firstborn among many brethren. And whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. It's done. Jesus did it. Don't you dare add anything to the beautiful simplicity of the Gospel. Verse 31. What then shall we say at these things? If God is for us, beloved, who can be against us? <laughs> he who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up, for us all, how will He not also freely give us every good thing? Verse 33, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one can. No one can, beloved. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who uh, is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Man, Jesus is interceding for us right now. If you go over and look at the earlier verse in the chapter, the Holy Spirit's also interceding for us. At two members of the Trinity interceding for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, For thy sake we are being uh, put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Look at this, verse 37. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. How? Someone tell me from the text. Oh, someone, just anyone tell me. How do we overwhelmingly conquer? Through Him. It's always through Him, beloved. It's always through. You got a problem? You got a, you got a crisis in your life? You got something going on in your life? Your victory is through Christ. Your victory will be through Christ. It will be through Christ. Let me finish. It will be through Christ. Verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We're going to come celebrate this awesome gospel. And uh, I think most of you have been here before. But I'll just repeat, we, we have open communion here. So all who have professed Christ um, as Lord and Savior, 
and have followed Him in believer's baptism, you're welcome to come and partake of the table. The Lord Jesus commands uh, this ordinance that we might always remember that He is our God. He is our Savior. It's done. It's bought. It's over. You don't have to add religion. It's done. He did it. He's God. He always accomplishes His purpose. His purpose was to save His people. He's done it. So come uh, and celebrate what Jesus has done in your behalf. Confess your sin. Confess your sin. Don't come to the table in an unworthy manner. Don't come to the table in a ritualistic manner. Put down your sin. Come and celebrate what Jesus has done. Uh, you going to play? Tyler's going to play for a few minutes. And uh, prepare your hearts. And uh, when you're ready, come up and take the bread, take the cup, go back to your seat. And uh, after the music stops, um, I will stand and read a text and then we will partake of the elements, okay? <laughs>